0: Good morning. I think the 11-14s are going out for their, uh, their time together. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church. It's my privilege uh, to lead the team. We're going to be continuing um, our look at 1 Timothy. So I don't think we've been looking at that book of the Bible for about the last four weeks. Uh, so if you need a bit of help finding it, ask the person next to you and I'm sure they will uh, point you in the right direction. So we're going to be into 1 Timothy chapter 5. But before we do that, I just wanted to spend just a moment quickly talking about the changes we're making to the car park that you'll have seen all around you as you've come in over the last few weeks. I want to start by apologising that I haven't communicated this sooner. I know that in not doing so, it's caused some of you to worry and be concerned about these changes that we're making. And so I want to sincerely apologise that we haven't done it sooner. But I want to share a little bit of information now so that you understand why we've made these changes and how these changes are going to impact upon you and the other users of the Hastings Centre. When we built the cup, and apologies to visitors, because you are only going to be very brief, but you may find this a little bit boring, but... but uh, we will only be brief. We built the car park a little while ago and when we did it, we took out a loan to build it. Now over the last few years, we've paid an awful big chunk of it off but there is still a chunk that remains to be paid. At the same time as building it, we got the, um, the Conquest Hospital requested, just across the road, whether they could use some of our car park for staff parking. And so over a number of years now, we've had the benefit of the staff using, our, can you hear? How you doing, Dan? Is that better? Excellent. Where did, where did you stop? At oh, the very beginning? No, no, oh, that's alright, OK. You should have said he's behind you or louder or something like that. So over the last few years we've had the benefit of the having the Conquest Hospital using the car park during the week. That's given us some revenue that covers the loan And it's also provided them with cheap parking for staff. So it's worked both ways. As we mentioned earlier, we mentioned a number of times, at the end of June, that finished. They've built some more car parks. They don't need our car park anymore. So it left us with a decision to make, really. And pretty much, we've got a choice of two things. We can either look to use the car park to get some revenue in to cover the loan, or, or we don't in that sense. We've got those two choices, and they can be dressed up in a number of different ways, but that's pretty much the opportunity or the uh, decision we need to make. I came to the decision pretty quickly that I feel if God has given us a resource, we should look to make the most of it. Twenty years ago when we moved into the, this building, that's exactly what the elders at that time decided. Rather than have the building empty when the church didn't need it, we, they decided actually, no, if we can rent it out, lease it out, provide some income but also bless the community, that was a good thing to do. And in a sense with the car park, all we're doing is extending that from inside the building to outside the building. So once we come to the conclusion that we wanted to see if we could make some revenue from it, we then explored all the different options there might be. Could staff continue to use it? and that was ruled out relatively quickly. Could we split the car park in two? We came across a number of management issues if we were going to do that. Do we do pay on exit or pay on foot? The set-up cost for that was six or seven times the cost of doing what we're doing. And so we came back to, in a sense, turning the whole car park into pay and display. Now, we know pay and display car parks don't have the best reputation, but I would plead with you not to think of the worst examples of pay and display and assume that's how we're going to run it. We're obviously going to do the very best we can, even in how we set up the fees, what we're going to do in management to make it as good as we possibly can and provide a benefit for those that want to go to the hospital and don't want to pay £1.40 an hour to visit a sick relative. So we can see a benefit from that. As far as how will it run goes, or what what will be the impact on you and what will be the impact on me, the first thing to say is if you're a church member, you can ask for a parking permit. That will give you free parking any time during the week um, to visit the Hastings Centre or to visit the hospital. So just ask for a parking permit. There's no problems. We can send you one. We would ask you to use it and put it in your windscreen. It will cause us a lot less problems if you do that than if you don't. We know who should be parking there and who shouldn't. As far as Sunday mornings go, there is absolutely no change from this morning to what will happen in the future. The Pay and Display car park is shut, in a sense, but it is open for the church to use free parking for members and non-members. Non-members? There is no difference. What about people who want to visit the church or be with us during the week but they're not members? How are we going to handle that? Well, I've just agreed with um, Hannah with Tots Club. If I give you an example of how we're doing it with Tots Club, then it will hopefully put your mind at rest for the other things as well. If you are a Tots Club parent but you're not a member, we're going to ask that you comply with the parking regulations. So Tots Club goes on for about an hour and a half, an hour and a half, so you're going to need to put a pound in the machine which covers two hours of parking. You take the tear-off slip when you register in with Tots Club, they will then take that one pound off the fee to enter Tots Club. So before we open the Pay and Display car park, the cost to get into Tots Club was £2.50. And after we've opened the car park, the cost will be £2.50 as well. So there is a little bit of extra work for people who are using the car park, um, but it is at no extra cost. And I think whether it's link lunch or whether it's um, men's discipleship, we're looking in a sense to serve those groups in the same way. Probably the only other thing to say is with the Hastings Centre clients, um, please, again, please don't worry about them. We're doing the very best we can. Both Stuart and Tracy are in long and frequent conversations with all of our clients, looking to serve them as well and as effectively as possible. Like I say, and this is, this, this, you know, I read it in a minute, I'm so sorry if I've caused any of you worry or concern because you haven't understood why or how it's going to operate. We have attempted to sort of communicate through, dif- through different channels but I understand that we will have missed some people in that and hopefully as I've been sharing just now that will at least put your minds at rest even if you don't like the idea of a pay and display car park you'll understand why we're doing, doing it and how it's going to operate. If you do have any further questions or you would like to discuss it any more, please do feel very free to talk to Tracy, Stuart or Kevin. And I know they'll be only too willing to give you time to explain any questions that you may have. Is that okay? And I do know this is, I know this is serious things because any change we make as we go forward as a church, there are ripples and implications and, and it affects us. And so we do want to do it as sensitively and as effectively as we can. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord God, that you're with us when we worship. Lord, and we can request that you're going to be with us with a pan-display car park as well. And that seems odd, very every day, but I do ask for your grace and your peace. I pray for those that are troubled or worried about it. I ask for your grace and peace to flood in. And I ask in the end, Lord, would this, this work for good? Lord, would you work it for good, I pray. I pray, would you please help me as I preach this morning, please fill me and anoint me with your Holy Spirit, Oh, how I need you. Lord, I ask you that as we look at something that will be quite familiar to many of us, I ask you for fresh revelation. I pray, would you stir us up? Would you meet us by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray? I ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. And the whole church said? Amen. Amen. Excellent. Let me have a gulp of water, or red, red, yeah, I mean, where I live, this is the colour the water comes out of the taps, you know. (laughs) The particular passage that I'm going to be looking at today is all about family and how we relate together. You see, at the very beginning, our we have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We understand that there is, there is a God. We understand there is one that loves us and died for us and we give our lives to him as an individual. One person at a time, we come into the kingdom of God and it's absolutely wonderful. But if you read the New Testament and you come to an understanding of it, what you'll realise is you don't stay as an individual very long. Actually, very, very quickly... You, are, you need to become part of a local church if you're to grow well. If you're to grow straight and true and strong, you need to be in a community of believers that love Jesus, that will speak honestly with you, that will pray for you and support you through the troubles of this life. You need a church. You need to be part of it, rooted and established in a church. Now we know as well, don't we, that sin separated us from God. There was a moment when we were separated from God because of our sin until Jesus Christ had dealt with that issue in our lives. But, but it's also true that sin separates us from one another as well. And things that we say, things that we do, whether we intended them to or not, can have an impact on our relationships together and cause division and bu- uh, 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 barriers between us relating well. I'm sure all of you uh, would confess that at times that can be the case. And it's exactly the same in the church. We mustn't ever sit here thinking, hey, because we're part of the church and because we're Christians, we never have conflict. I never have any disagreements. I never have any problems with anyone else. Why? Because I'm a Christian. Of course I don't. I certainly wouldn't admit to them anyway. But actually if you read the New Testament epistles, if if you read those letters in the New Testament, it talks a lot about conflict, it talks a lot about love, it talks a lot about getting on well together. Why? Because in the New Testament church, just a few short years after Jesus died and rose again, they had conflict and difficulty. And so they needed teaching on how do you handle that. And I think we'd be very unwise if we thought 2,000 years later that we don't need to handle and need to know how to handle conflict and difficulty as well. So Paul gives Timothy, Paul wrote the the letter of of Timothy, Paul gives Timothy some instruction on how the church is to function and how we are to relate to each other within the church setting. So if you've got your Bibles, if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to kick it off at verse 11 but the verses we're going to look at in detail are verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching, Do not neglect the gift which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. All of these are personal instructions to Timothy who was leading the church at Ephesus. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should, should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need, left all alone, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith He is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Now as I mentioned before we're going to focus on verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 but I wanted you to know what came before it and also what's going to come after it, and what I'm going to be looking at next time I preach in the whole care for widows, but everything that that teaches into also with how we care for the poor, and the needy within our community, and in the wider society. Now, the first thing that stands out to me when I read these first two verses, is that the language Paul uses is family language. He talks about... Treating older men as fathers, older women as mothers, younger men as brothers, younger women as sisters. And this sort of language isn't unfamiliar in a church setting. So in Ephesians 2.19 it says this, Consequently you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You are... You're no longer foreigners, you're no longer aliens, you're no longer on the fringe, no, you are part of God's household, you are now part of God's family. 1 Timothy 3.15, so slightly earlier in this letter, he says this, look, Timothy, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church. God's family, which is the church. And when we pray, how, how is it that we're told to pray? What's that opening line when we pray? Our Father. Father. It's family language. We are a family. And although when you look around here you might think, God, there's hundreds of people here in this auditorium. How can we be a family? Well, that, that does give some challenges. But we are a family. We're a family together. And we're a family in God's sight. It's his family. We're part of his church. His body. And I think that sets the standards very high for church life. Because there isn't anything, I don't think, in society that is quite as cohesive and powerful than a well-working family. Over, uh, I'm obviously quite young. Yes, yes, yes. I am obviously quite young. But even in my short life... I've noticed how often the government wants to emphasise the role of the family in society because they know how important it is if society is going to work right. They they know that. But there's probably nothing more difficult to be part of than a family that isn't working right as well. You know, both is true. In family you experience love and acceptance, don't you? Not, Not on the basis of your performance or how you do, but you're in the family, we love you, we accept you, you're part of it. You find security and boundaries. In a good family there's discipline. You learn right from wrong. You learn to care for other people. You learn about yourself. You learn in a family that maybe I'm not right all the time. You learn how to, co- how to handle conflict. In a family, generations are reflected. From the very first newborn baby to the great grandparent. But you see family, what family is, what it represents, how it functions, it's amazing. And, and we see in Zechariah 8 verses 4 and 5, we won't read them, but you see there that, that you see the elderly and the very young mixing together on the streets and God says that is a sign of blessing. Blessing. That's a sign of God's favour. And in church life, in us, we want to see, don't we? We want to see the very youngest running around, but I also want it to be a place where the very elderly feel security and love and acceptance as well. But families, if they're going to work right, also take high investment from all parties involved, don't they? Now I'm going to have to work with you guys to be a little less English this morning. I am very concerned that although this is about as good as an English summer gets, you are drifting off because of the warmth. So, does good family life take investment? That's better. That's what we want to hear. Good family life does take investment. And it might be that mum and dad do a lot of the work. (laughs) And amen there. Do mum and dad do a lot of the work? But actually... Isn't it right that children may freeload for a little bit? Certainly up to about six months anyway before you get them working. But, but over time, over time you, you want to see them develop and take on responsibility and maybe clear the table or put a few dishes in the dishwasher or tidy their room. But then you also have grandparents coming in, generally causing mayhem and difficulty and undermining the parents, but they're in there as well and you see auntie and uncles, and you see cousins, the whole mix. When it, when it, and I know that there'd be many of us that wouldn't necessarily have a family life that reflects that, but when it is working well, it is an awesome place to be. And I think God deliberately chose to illustrate what church is life like, and he picked the family. He wanted us to know that is in there, not dependent on size. Well, you can only do that if your church is 60 strong, or 50, because out of that you can't... No, you can do Family. We can be family in that way. We may not know everyone, but you can do family in your units. I've got three sisters, one older and two younger. Two of them have got children of their own. They've all got their partners or they are married. They have their own family units. I don't know exactly what is going on with all of them, but we are family and we come together and we celebrate and we do things together. And actually when the rubber really hits the road, we're there for each other. So I don't know everything going on in their lives and I think that's the same for us as a family, together. You may not know exactly what's going on over here or you may not what, know what's going on over there but you are family and we should view each other as family, we treat each other as family but there is also a time where you... there are places where you are known, where people do you know you, where you are supported in life, where you are getting input and things like community groups... Um, opportunities to pray together, focus groups, serving te- teams, all of those are opportunities for you to earth it at a smaller level. And you'll find as well in family life, it isn't just that mum and dad give, 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 give. Well, although it can feel like that at times. and amen? Yeah, amen? Come on guys, you've already forgotten. You've already forgotten. But, but actually it is give and take, isn't it? If it's going to work, there are seasons when you're giving... But there's also seasons when you need to receive as well. Maybe when things are tough or where where things aren't working right. And that's the same in church life as well. We can't can't just kick back, sit back in the chair, you know, after the Sunday meeting. No one's come to talk to me. You know, I don't know, this isn't a friendly church. No one, no one has come to talk to me this morning. Come on, guys. Come on, guys, if it's going to work... If it's going to work, we all, play, we all need to play our part. Even if you've, been a church member, if you've been a church member for ten years and you don't feel you've connected yet, gate, crash the welcome area. Start talking to someone on the connecting. They will hate me for saying this, not because they don't like you, but because we miss the visitors in it. But at least start there. Look at this, I've gone and jolly done that and I can't get it back in my pocket. Would you believe it? Nothing's going right this morning. The hardships I suffer for the Gospel. <laughs> But but find find, we, we need to connect. It's give and take. There is nothing that thrills me more. And I, I I heard a story just recently from someone. They're going through a really difficult time. It's it's hit them from the side. But they said to me, the church has been so caring and loving. They've been so supportive with their meals and with their prayer. They're asking what can we do, can we help with the children in any way. That community group is an absolute credit to us. It really, really is. But I think one of the reasons it's worked so well is because this particular family have dived in. They gave themselves first to the church and when, when things were really tough for them, The church then gave themselves, poured out its love for them. And it does work two ways, guys. And I know some of you guys are really shy and find it so hard. I'd say, come on, do your best. You want to know what the application is from this morning's preach? It's just to go and talk to someone you've never spoken to before. Introduce yourself. Say, I don't think we've met. My name's so-and-so. And And just, just step out. Go for it. Ask God to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit and then go for it. Amen? Amen? And church, if you notice people just on their own, go have a chat with them, introduce yourself. I think it's also interesting, you know, I do want to, if I can, exhort you. I think even with maybe the challenges of what I've been talking about this morning with the car park, And I've, I've, mess, you know, I've messed it up, I, I should have communicated better earlier and I won't apologise again because I've already done it. But how, how do you handle it in a family when there's misunderstanding? How do you handle yourself when things happen that go wrong and there may be sin on the part of the other person Or it might be, as best as they understand it, it's just they've made a mistake. How do you handle your own emotions? How do you sound when you speak to other people? Do you hope for the best? Or do you fear the worst? And I know we don't get it right in our immediate families often, but it is provoking. Let's get into the text a little bit more. We will rush through these bits fairly quickly. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Now, first thing just to point out here is that Paul, an older guy, clearly had an expectation of Timothy, who was probably in his mid-thirties at the time, that he would be correcting older men. That there would be a time and a place where Timothy, as an elder in the local church, may need to s- sidle up ag- alongside an older guy and question what they're doing or question their behaviour, and we mustn't miss that. Paul, in there, it's just in the Bible as a given that that happens. The guys that he, Paul, uh, Timothy, comes alongside may be older; they may be more experienced in life; they may even have been Christian longer than Timothy. But it does not therefore mean that Timothy. There isn't a place where Timothy does need to exalt or correct, or help them grow closer to God. And I think just for you older guys, if I can be so bold, for myself and Sam, that's our God-given responsibility to do that. So if we're not doing it, if we're not doing it, then we're disobeying what God says at the right and the correct time. But what Paul does want to emphasise is this, is look, when it happens, don't come with a harsh rebuke, but come with an exaltation. Timothy is to give older members the respect that is due their age along with the affection that is due to parents. You see both things in there. So if I was to need to come and uh, you know, help Richard out a little bit, Richard on front row here, Richard needs just a little bit of help. I'm to come alongside him with respect because he is older, and with affection as though I were rebuking or encouraging my own father. That's that's how I am to handle Richard. That's how we are to work together and to work through this. And you find that right through the Bible there is a high expectation when it comes to honouring the elderly. Do you know what it says in Leviticus 19? You thought it was just nice manners, but this is what it says in the Bible. Rise in the presence of the aged, Show respect for the elderly and revere your God, I am the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it? That that's in the Bible. It's not just good English manners. But it's actually in the word of God. The elderly shouldn't be ignored, disrespected or seen as an inconvenience. But a community that cares for the elderly and honours them brings honour to God. Amen, church? Amen, Amen, church? That is right, isn't it? And there is something about, seen about us with how we view every segment of society, every part of our community. Rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and in in doing so, you're revering God. I guess in some ways, you're worshipping God as we behave in the right way. I would say that, particularly younger ones in the congregation. I think it's right for you to stand up on a bus or train if there's an elderly person without a seat. I think you should do it. I think you should offer them your seat. I think it's right that we show respect or maybe open the door as well or don't rush through and just look to see what's going on around us. It's worship to God as we do it. Now you may say and come back to me, well, I'll do it if they deserve it. I have situational application of the Bible text. No. The Bible, Leviticus doesn't say if they deserve it, get them to fill in a questionnaire and send through free references and then if they do all come back good, you may stand in their presence. It's the same as leadership, isn't it? There's a a respect for leadership or for government. Whether we personally uh, uh, agree with the, the politics, actually, no, we respect them, we speak well of them. That's what the Bible says we're to do. We respect authority. And in the same way, we're to do that. In Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22, this is interesting. He says, look, if your enemy is hungry, what are you to do? If your enemy is hungry, Feed feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. If we do that with our enemies. That's what the Bible says we're to do, not just with those we like. If that's what we are to do with those we don't get on with, how much more across the board with our dear elderly folks should we honour them, respect them, serve them and look after them? Even if at times they may be a little grumpy. Not, none of, Sorry, sorry actually. None of you are grumpy but those outside, maybe outside the church, may be a little bit grumpy. Amen? Romans 12:21 says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When bad things happen to you, maybe someone rubs you up the wrong way. How do you respond to that? The way we act towards others, whether the more elderly among us, or any age group, the way we act towards others should not be predominantly shaped by how they've acted towards us, but by how God has acted towards us. Amen? So when I'm thinking, how, how, do, I, uh, how do I encourage Richard? How do I respond to Richard? He can, be, you know, he can be a bit arrogant and obnoxious at times. How do I respond to Richard? Do, do, I, do I respond to him with arrogance and obnoxiousness? Is there such a word as that? Obnoxiousness. Or do I think, actually, no, Christ has not responded to me in that way, although I was like that. Although maybe at times I'm still like that. Do I respond like that? No. I think God has poured out his grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness into my life. So how do I respond? In the same way to Richard. And that's exactly how our church relations, we're a family. That's how it works. I do not reflect someone else's bitterness back on them. I reflect Christ's love onto them. Now, is it easy? No. But that's why he has poured the Holy Spirit out on us and given us power so that we can live in a way different to how we used to live before we came to know Christ. If we only live the same way as we lived before then has the gospel taken root? Has it had an impact? No. We live countercultural. So if someone is difficult to me what do I do? How do I respond? First thing I ask for, oh God give me grace. And then I love them. I love them in how I act, I love them in how I speak, I love them in how I think, and I love them in how I speak to other people about them. That's how it works, we're a family. How much more the family of God? How much more you do that for your mum and dad? Or you do that for your children? Why? Because we're family. We're God's household. How much more do we season everything we do with the love of God? Treat older women as mothers. I do hope I get this bit right. Behave yourself, Judy. <laughs> Not that you're older. <laughs> I think older women often aren't esteemed in society, in our society. I'm really struggling with my microphone we live in a world that is obsessed with outward beauty and once that beauty starts to fade often I think people change their perspective or their view on people and that's wrong church we and I think think we do many of these things well But we we need to demonstrate a care, a protection, a warmth, an affirmation that is due women of any age. Amen? We know God looks at the inner beauty, not an outward thing. He doesn't look at whether you've got big muscles, lucky for me, or whether you're handsome, or whether you're beautiful, or whether you're slim, or any of those things. He looks at what's going on in the heart. In 1 Timothy 5, later on, Paul highlights a group of women that are really to be esteemed, who are beautiful in God's sight. It says that they are over 60, they've been faithful to their husbands, they've done loads of good deeds, they've showed hospitality, they've served the church, they've been devoted to all sorts of kind acts. Those women should be esteemed. Amen? It's an inner beauty. treat younger men as brothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. When I see my boys interacting, I've got four sons, I'm not certain that Paul had them in mind when he was talking about treating younger men as brothers. The fights, the insults, the undermining, the exploitation, the general winding up is is pretty relentless and second to none across the board, whether youngest to oldest or oldest to youngest. Sometimes you may visit our house and think that World War III has broken out. I think the UN does actually have a permanent base just down the road in case they need to uh, get involved. But, but I think some of that stuff happens in family life anyway. But I also see the care that they have towards each other particularly when one of them's exposed, maybe mum and dad isn't around, I see the care or the love and it's impressive. see the protection. There was a time when one of my boys was uh, getting a bit bullied at school and his older brother noticed. Now, school teachers, you may not think this was a good thing, but he intervened and communicated quite clearly that this was not to carry on anymore. (laughs) But protection... That's right. Why? Because they're brothers. That's right, it's how it works. They spur each other on. Even if it is diving from the top rail of the decking into the trampoline. They spur each other on, I'm sure you can do this. Even if it means ends up with a bloody lip and everything like that, it's sort of, you can do it. Discipleship. The youngest just wants to be like the oldest. And if he's into something, you can guarantee the youngest ones will be as well. It's, all of those things happen naturally. We've not trained them in those things, but I think that's a reflection again. This is family. We're a family. Older guys, and I think predominantly not so much age-wise, but maturity-wise, are you deliberately getting along- alongside someone who is younger or who needs help to support them and carry them through difficult times? Are you helping them to grow in God? And this whole letter, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, are excellent examples of an older guy discipling a younger guy and the sorts of things he is looking at. And then the last verse before we, uh, we close it up and uh, look to bring a bit of application it says, Treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. It's amazing if you spoke to guys who are dating in their 20s or teenage guys, how much ambiguity there is in what does absolute purity really mean? However, if I was to ask fathers to stand up with daughters aged between about 12 and 20, I don't think there will be any ambiguity at all about what absolute purity means. And they would be very happy to educate these young guys in exactly what it means when it comes to their daughters. So if any of you, when you you hear my description of absolute purity, if any of you want any further clarification, we're clear the Jubilee Room at the end of the meeting. All you dads, you know, with daughters of that age group, can you go in there? And then any of you young guys, you can go in and I'm certain they will convince you fairly quickly of what absolute purity is. First thing is, that means you cannot have sex with her. If you are sleeping with a woman or if you're sleeping with a guy or whatever it might be and you are out of the covenant of marriage that is sin it needs to stop and you should not be doing it if you say you're following Jesus Christ. The two conflict. They, they don't go together. You need to stop it. If you're married have as much sex as you want and really enjoy it but it's pretty black and white in the Bible you're either married or you're not and if you're not you're not to have sex long term it will, it will damage you it will damage the other person you are not in a covenant committed relationship for life ending in death so just don't even go there that's what we teach here in the church this is what the Bible teaches so if you're doing it you need to stop And if we find out you're doing it, we'll be looking for you to stop. So we don't say one thing here but in practice we'll we'll do something different, no. If you're engaged, you are not married, therefore no, you cannot sleep with them either. Marriage is fairly clear and defined in the Bible what it is. I want to see a marriage certificate. If you don't have one, you're not married. Absolute purity affects how you act. How are we to treat younger women as? Sisters with absolute purity. It affects how you act. It affects how you speak. Don't flirt with each other. Whether face-to-face, Facebook, texting, just... Don't. Absolute purity. You're dishonoring God. You're probably leading someone on. Don't, don't flirt. Think about your jokes. Purity in what you watch. No pornography eyes no second glances I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman lustfully your sister purity on Facebook purity in emails, purity in text messages if a guy is only interested in you, if you send him some sort of text or, or picture or something like that, he really is not worth knowing. Now, I know I can say, I sound like a dad, don't I? I am a dad. I've got no daughters, but I, I'm sure I would reinforce that to them. Purity in how you think and purity in how you're perceived. Church should be the safest place for young women to grow up. Amen? Older men and women, we have a part to play in that. Younger men, you've got a part to play in that. One, don't do it. Be accountable if you're dating. It's not that we, you know... We don't do arranged marriages or anything like that to put your mind at rest because you may think that. No, do date, but be accountable. Be wise in how you do. Speak to someone who's older than you. Don't speak to your friend who's probably just as foolish as you are. Speak to someone who's been there, done it. And someone who will give you a real tough time if you mess up. The church should be the safest place on earth for young women to grow up. Men, we act like brothers. Let's stand. Can I ask the band to come back up, please? This is what it says in Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Lord, I want to thank you that we're your chosen people. I want to thank you, Lord, that... We are a family together here today. And it's awesome to be your family. Lord, I pray where there are difficulties, where there are challenges, maybe there's people that are hurting at the moment, I ask you, Lord, would you by your grace help us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. I pray help us to bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances we may have against one another. Lord, we say we choose to forgive as you have forgiven us. And over all of these things, Lord God, we clothe ourselves with love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Lord, we look to you. Just want, before we, we're going to worship, we're going to break bread in a moment, but before we do that, I just want to give you an opportunity to do business with God. If you feel there are things that have come up just as I've been speaking, you're thinking, I think I need to get that right. I need to ask forgiveness from God for this or for that. Or or, or guys, maybe the whole thing about how we view, how we treat younger women as sisters, not objects. I pray, Holy Spirit, will you come in and uh, lovingly convict us of sin, Lord, that we might repent and change. Maybe there's a whole generational thing and how maybe, maybe you're, you're slightly older in the congregation and if you're totally honest, you find that the young people just wind you up. All the noise and the buzz and the energy, it just gets on your nerves. You need to repent and ask for God's grace because it's... It's wonderful to be part of a family. Or maybe you're younger and you're thinking, actually, I've disrespected and dishonoured the elderly generally. I thought that they had to deserve my respect to get it. And I've seen actually that from this morning that's not the case. That I need to respect and love them anyway. As Christ has me. He's loved me. Then then you need to repent. You need to ask for God's help. Or maybe you're here today and all of this is completely new. And you'd just like to find out more about what it is to follow Jesus. And uh, you can just ask God right now and say, God, please will you reveal yourself to me this morning? Lord, we love you. We want to follow you. Holy Spirit, will you help us to do that? Lead us on in your purposes and plans. As a church, we desire to honour and glorify you. Make your name famous. And we know, Lord, that our actions speak often much louder than the words that we say. And so give us grace to follow you. Give us grace to honour you. In everything that we do, we pray, Lord Jesus. Musicians are just going to play quietly. Let's give you a moment to do business with God.